The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Get ready to be inspired. So many people have touched the lives of others, sometimes without even knowing it. Could you be one of those people? Welcome to Your Why with host, the CEO of Breakthrough SEO Marketing, Nalinia Varinas. Today, you'll hear some stories of people who have touched others in a positive way and show you how you can do the same. Now, here is Nalinia Varinas. Hello and welcome. It's so great having you with us today. I'm your host, Nolina Varinas, and you're listening to Your Why. Connect with me on LinkedIn, like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and visit my website at Breakthrough SEO Marketing. With us today to talk about Inspire to Aspire is our illustrious guest, Walter Larkins. I am excited to introduce him to you. Walter Larkins is a highly successful entrepreneur and executive with over 25 years of small business development experience. He holds several U.S. and international patents that are issued or pending. Walter is one of the pioneers of the minimally invasive surgical movement in the 1980s, starting the work with gallbladder surgery and eventually adapting the techniques to heart surgery. He was at the forefront of a revolution in surgical treatments and a proponent of using less risky techniques in modern medicine, giving rise to an entirely new industry that minimized physical injury and psychological trauma to the patient. Walter is an inventor, investor, philanthropist, founder, and key executive in a variety of entrepreneurial companies, including Endosurgical Development Corporation, a company that developed devices for minimally invasive surgery. Envision Associates, a successful management consulting firm, CDR Financial Services, CDR Research, CDR Benefits and Insurance Services. Also Digital Force Ventures, a company that developed small encryption software, Ethicon Endosurgery, a Johnson & Johnson startup, a leading healthcare provider, an accounts receivables management company, and a business process outsourcing company with operations in Mumbai and Goa, India. Walter also serves as board director, board member, commissioner, or member for countless nonprofit organizations that are focused on economic and community development, job creation, education, and human rights. He is also a member of the White House Business Council. One of the nonprofit organizations in which Walter is currently the executive director is the E equals O2 Foundation a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to guide and incentivize at-risk 8th grade students to do well in school and strive to expand their range of opportunities. Walter is currently president of CDR Benefits and Insurance Services and CDR Financial Services, both headquartered in Long Beach, California. 
That's a long list of accomplishments, Walter. Thank you so much for being our guest on the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. Yeah. I was listening to that, and I said, wow, okay. So, it's, <laughs> so, so that was, uh, well, thank you very much for the introduction. I appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. And I, um, I'm just really appreciative for you and the work you do, um, being a pioneer and also uh, someone who's inspiring me to be more than I thought I could be because I know uh, you have overcome some adversities in your life. But before we get to that, could you please tell us about what you do today? Your the work that you do, the the company that you the companies that you run, and uh, just so the audience understands a little bit more about you. Well, I um, as far as my my businesses, uh, as you know, I oftentimes talk to kids and I ask them, okay, what is what is an entrepreneur, and. You know, there's a lot of different answers for that. And sometimes entrepreneurs oftentimes think, okay, what does that even mean to me? And so I consider myself an entrepreneur, and, and essentially what an entrepreneur is, is someone that pursues their passions mm-hmm. uh, against, uh, you know, sometimes insurmountable odds, but mm-hmm. are willing to continue moving forward despite those because of the opportunity for for success. So. That's sort of what's uh, driven me. So the companies I've been involved with and are currently involved with really were inspired uh, by uh, things that I saw that were problems, and mm-hmm. then I felt that uh, there was an opportunity for me to figure out a way to address those challenges. So mm-hmm. uh, my first, I guess if I talk about what I'm doing now, mm-hmm. uh, I'm president of a company called CDR Financial Services, and that company works with uh, healthcare providers to assist them with their uh, cash flow. Uh, many hospitals are having uh, challenges, as well as doctors' offices, uh, to essentially you know remain in business with the many challenges in mm-hmm. in healthcare and reimbursement. So, so that was inspired because as a sales rep, I I understood some of the challenges that hospitals are having with getting equipment and keeping their facilities modernized. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that piece of their business was always a challenge, so that inspired mm-hmm. me to get into that business. And then mm-hmm. my other business, which is in the insurance side, healthcare insurance, mm-hmm. obviously uh, that's a big challenge uh, as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we felt that we could offer solutions that were simple to understand. Uh, mm-hmm. And my challenge as a business owner was that I get a lot of uh, people who come to my office and mm-hmm. they would explain the services they offer, but in such a way that I my eyes would sometimes gray over, and I would say, okay, uh, whatever you say, you know, I trust you. So that's not the best way to make a decision. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so we decided that there are other business owners and individuals like myself who mm-hmm. really wanted to engage with someone who could explain uh, the opportunities that are available to them in a way that's simple for them to understand and mm-hmm. have uh, a lot of integrity built in so that uh, we have that relationship with them, you know, through their life. Because when mm-hmm. you need these services, you usually need them on your worst day, and you want to make sure <laughs> that whatever you paid for uh, satisfies what your expectations are. Mm-hmm. Very good. So uh, can you take us back to some of the companies that you were involved with um, earlier in your career as an entrepreneur? Well, you know, I... I guess I was fortunate in a lot of ways uh, as far mm-hmm. as my the companies I've worked for. Uh, mm-hmm. I, 
you know, I was a very shy individual. People who know me don't think that's true, but <laughs> I was extremely shy, beyond comprehension. And just a little, a little aside was that I didn't know how shy I was until uh, I was in the 10th grade. I had an idea, but sometimes mm-hmm. you need an event to occur to really uh, point out that challenge. And so I was in the 10th grade, and, and a teacher assigned me a book report. And, of course, I was a total and complete nerd. And I knew the book like the back of my hand. And then I stood up, and my brain, of course, was still sitting down. So I must have stood there, I don't know how long. It seemed like a very long time. And the teacher finally said, okay, Walter, you can sit back down. Of course, my brain reattached to my brain, and I then could uh, think again. But that moment uh, was defining for me because I decided that I, you know, I wasn't going to be able to accomplish anything if I didn't learn how to manage my shyness. And uh, so I went about the business of trying to figure out how to make that happen, and mm-hmm. then I decided to enroll into journalism. And I asked my journalism teacher at that time, I said, I have a problem I need to help me with. And mm-hmm. thankfully, you know, she gleefully took over that challenge and exposed me to so many very intimidating situations uh, <laughs> that helped me really kind of learn uh, how to manage that shy aspect. And then I decided to go into career pathways. I'm mm-hmm. a veteran as well, mm-hmm. and that really exposed me to uh, really interacting with people. And uh, I worked in sales when I, when I was in high school. I worked at JCPenney. Uh, mm-hmm. I sold, you know, the, another story, but I, I sold shoes. And then mm-hmm. I sold automotive parts and accessories. And that's why I was in high school and part of college. Mm-hmm. And then when I went into the military, I was, as an officer, I served in a branch of the military called the artillery for those vets out there. You know what that is. And essentially, since you can't really blow up uh, real things in the artillery in terms of practice, uh, mm-hmm. you have to convince the other officers that are in these other areas that you're, mm-hmm. you have a purpose and mm-hmm. need to be included in their battle plans. And when I left the military, I ended up working for Coca-Cola for a couple of years in sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, uh, I was recruited by... Uh, someone who called me up out of the clear blue sky. And as an mm-hmm. aside, I did want to be a doctor at one point in time. So this guy, mm-hmm. recruiter, calls me up and says, uh, Walter, uh, how do you like to sell medical devices to surgeons in the operating room? Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know that they were salespeople in the operating room. In fact, I remember <laughs> telling the recruiter, don't doctors already know what they're doing before they get into the operating room? Mm-hmm. And so that was a surprise. And the fact is that there are probably salespeople in every single operating room in the country who are trained uh, on how to explain to surgeons on uh, how to use this, this various technology that, that is available now. And that's, that's how I sort of got my start in the medical side. So I worked for a company called Ethicon, which was a, which was a J&J company. And then mm-hmm. they started a uh, startup called Ethicon Indo Surgery, which I was part of, one of the first mm-hmm. Johnson & Johnson startups. Mm-hmm. And you know, I left that company, and that's when I started my first, uh, my first venture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. So you, you saw an opportunity, then you decided to take action on yourself and, and take it from there. So yeah, I, I that, think the, that whole the, thought process... Is well, interesting. I, I, you know, sometimes I, I, for me at least, sometimes the the thing that scares you the most, and when mm-hmm. you're when you know you have, 
you have to really embrace. Those are the things that that are usually your best opportunities. You know, fear stops a lot of people from moving forward. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's, you know, people say it's a fear of failure. I, I really look at fear in, in three ways. I look at fear of contact. Mm-hmm. I call it three fears. Fear of contact, which is the fear of actually reaching out to someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fear of rejection mm-hmm. is what they're going to tell you after you reach out to them. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately... Uh, the third fear, which you really can't do much about, is, uh, you know, the fear of death. So those, mm-hmm. those fears, <laughs> and if you talk to, <laughs> if you talk to people, that fear of contact and re- fear of rejection almost is at that level. So mm-hmm. I, I had to work really hard to address at least the first two fears uh, through my through my life. Mm-hmm. My gosh. Okay. Well. Um Let's take a short break at this moment, and then we're going to continue with our guest who has transformed himself from someone who was very shy to someone who's now conquering his own uh, fears that many of us are faced with. So I'm your host, Nolina Varinas. Stay with us. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Breakthrough SEO marketing should be your first stop when looking for SEO solutions for your business. We offer social media marketing assistance, website design, website audits, and reputation marketing, pay-per-click options, and of course, search engine optimization services. Go to BreakthroughSEOMarketing.com today and we'll give you a free website and social media audit. This is a valuable resource for listeners of Your Why with Nalina Varinas. This limited time offer can be yours by visiting BreakthroughSEOMarketing.com or call us at 310-650-0725. Tune in each week for Monica Phillips and Powerful Conversations. This is a thought-provoking show for business people, leaders, and entrepreneurs. We'll feature today's thought leaders and industry trendsetters from across several locations and industries. Give yourself permission to be inspired and live a fulfilling life. Be sure to listen to Powerful Conversations, live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is Your Why with Nalina Varinas. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments about our program. Drop us a line via email to nalina at BreakthroughSEOMarketing.com. That's N-E-L-I-N-I-A at BreakthroughSEOMarketing.com. Now, back to Your Why. Welcome back. This is Nalina Varinas. I'm your host on Your Why. And the guest, our guest today is Walter Larkins. And we're going down, a, uh, we have some momentum built up around the path that Walter has pursued. But there's a little bit more to the story that I want people to understand. And that is that um, growing up as a youngster, he grew up in Germany. And um, can you tell us about the relationship of your parents and the situation that um, existed around the time that they um, married. 
Well, my, uh, my parents, uh, they're an interracial uh, couple, and uh, my father grew up in Vicksburg, Mississippi, and my parents are uh, in their, almost in their 90s. My mother is 90, and my father is 88. So mm-hmm. if you can go back in time, uh, mm-hmm. I'd like to speak to my father first. Uh, he, he grew up in a time when um, the Ku Klux Klan in, in Mississippi uh, mm-hmm. really ran, uh, you know, not only the South, but certainly where he, where he was uh, born. And he always had a, a challenge of uh, dealing with the segregation that existed at that time mm-hmm. and was sort of ahead of his time and of his thinking, which was risky behavior for him at that time. So he wouldn't mm-hmm. take the bus uh, because he had to sit in the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, he resented and, and was angry about the, the, the discrimination that he, he faced. And, mm-hmm. and he didn't have a father. His father died when he was a, you know, six years old, so very young. Mm-hmm. And his, one of his pivotal moments was when he was uh, a young man. He worked in a, a road, uh, basically a, a restaurant, mm-hmm. and owned by a, a Greek owner. And there was a person in the restaurant who happened to be a white uh, with his girlfriend mm-hmm. uh, and called him, you know, the, the kinds of names that you'd imagine that people would say, certainly at that time. And my mm-hmm. father... Uh, did not engage in physical uh, conflict with them because you know that that certainly would result in your you know immediate uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know exposure to the Klan. Uh, mm-hmm. He merely uh, explained to the individual not to say uh, the words he was saying, and mm-hmm. then he found out from the owner of the restaurant before he left that the mm-hmm. Ku Klux Klan was was going to go after him, and mm-hmm. he had to leave town, and so he left town. And mm-hmm. he, what he did is join the army, mm-hmm. and, and at that time the army was uh, segregated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so th- those were some of the challenges that he mm-hmm. had to deal with. And then he went through the Korean War, fought uh, uh, in the Korean War, earned a battlefield mm-hmm. commission. For those mm-hmm. who are vets, they probably know what that is. It's a commission that you get out of result of your your combat activity, where they promote you to an officer. Uh, mm-hmm. in a battlefield environment. Mm-hmm. And that was one of his pivotal moments in, in reaching that particular level. And after the war, mm-hmm. he, was, uh, he went to Germany, and that's when he met my mom. Mm-hmm. And my mom, her, her history is that her mother was, uh, her family was lived in a Catholic town. Mm-hmm. For those who are familiar with Germany, most of Germany was Protestant, and mm-hmm. frankly, they didn't know, because the little villages in Germany, a lot of them you know, are self-sustaining, and therefore, there's not a lot of interaction with some of the other, other villages. But my father, mm-hmm. after the war, is U.S. occupation. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, met her at, at a Christmas party that one of the, the mayor of the town invited him uh, mm-hmm. to, and they immediately mm-hmm. fell in love. And she mm-hmm. had never seen anyone that was African American uh, mm-hmm. ever. And mm-hmm. my father spoke a little German. Of course, my mother didn't speak any. And it's one of those love at first sight, you know, stories. Mm-hmm. And yet the challenges that they had to deal with were mm-hmm. really something else. So growing up as a, as a young uh, teenager mm-hmm. in Germany, uh, of course, uh, she grew up when Hitler was mm-hmm. uh, you know, coming to rise. She was a refugee mm-hmm. uh, during most of the war. Her, town, mm-hmm. her city was bombed and destroyed. Uh, mm-hmm. She had to basically you know, look in trash cans for food, and they mm-hmm. really, uh, she really suffered. 
Mm-hmm. And after the war, she had to leave what was then East Germany and get smuggled to West Germany because the uh, the Russia, the Soviets at that at that time, the Russians were, uh, you know, really trying to have retribution on the citizens uh, in mm-hmm. Germany, obviously for what had happened, and she managed mm-hmm. to escape to the West, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and somehow uh, their cro- their paths crossed, uh, mm-hmm. and and they decided to get married. So mm-hmm. the challenge of getting married, it took them almost four years to get married. Their paperwork was mm-hmm. lost. When I was growing up as a child, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't really understand racism per se. They, they mm-hmm. tried to sh- shield us from it. But the story mm-hmm. that I had was that my parents uh, found themselves one time driving cross country mm-hmm. and didn't. And my father didn't know that he'd slipped into West Virginia at that mm-hmm. time. And there were laws in most of the states in the South mm-hmm. where... Uh, those kinds of relationships were you know, not only discouraged but illegal, and there were real mm-hmm. consequences. Mm-hmm. So my mother had to actually go under the floorboards to sort of <laughs> make sure <laughs> the police weren't going to, uh, to see them. And then as yeah. we grew up, uh, I was born actually um, in uh, Fort Leonard, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And then after, shortly after that, my brother was born. We lived in Germany for, for a number of years, and then we came mm-hmm. back to the U.S., and mm-hmm. Uh, that process of coming back to the U.S., mm-hmm. my father always played a game with us to let us know, okay, this is the uh, hotel's, I think it was Travel Lodge. It was the one with the, with the bear. <laughs> and he would say, okay, look for the hotels with a bear. Now, I thought those were the good hotels, but what it really was, the only hotel uh, that we could stay in as, mm-hmm. uh, as an as integrated couple where we mm-hmm. wouldn't have problems. And he didn't explain that to me until, you know, later on. So, and then once we made it to California, mm-hmm. uh, and when you're young, you know, your kids, as, you, as most people know, really don't understand, you know, racism. But, uh, but my father was, was pretty wise, and so was my mother, having been exposed to that at such a, you know, throughout their, throughout their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the things that they had to uh, struggle mm-hmm. with. My father, my mother, as an aside, uh, mm-hmm. no one would talk to her, even though she was an officer's wife. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, at that time, there was limited communication. So she was mm-hmm. really alone and didn't have the network while she was living in the United States to have, have friends. Uh, but when we finally arrived in California, mm-hmm. uh, we moved to... At that time, that was a fairly integrated neighborhood. This is 1968. Mm-hmm. And the neighborhood was mostly integrated, but the house that my father bought was uh, owned by a dentist. And mm-hmm. it was the biggest house in that particular neighborhood. But on the deed, uh, it said that you couldn't sell the house to, uh, at that time, colored people. Mm-hmm. So that was the sort of the environment we came in, and then very mm-hmm. quickly after that, the neighborhood transitioned from integrated to mostly African American, and and the neighborhood over time, you know, became a pretty tough neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, gangs mm-hmm. gangs had had moved in and, and mm-hmm. et cetera. So mm-hmm. that's sort of where I grew up as a teenager, mm-hmm. and then my uh, in a young elementary school kid, and then my father at one point said, son, uh, I'm going to create a busing program. And I was maybe eight. Mm -hmm. And he said, I need to give you an opportunity to have a better education. And Mm -hmm. I really didn't know what that meant at eight. 
all the and they did start explaining more things about the environment that I would be going into. And so the busing program he started was mm-hmm. called the Parents Council for Community Action. So it sounded very uh, at that time during the '60s. Of course, there was a lot of civil rights activity going on in the United mm-hmm. States, and he got 20 parents to agree to pay for a bus to take us to at that time, which was Westchester School District, to integrate that school. Mm-hmm. And so I had to kind of go through my my where I lived, which was a Crip Grant gang territory, through uh-huh. uh, a gang territory that was controlled by family at that time, and now those were the Bloods, and then mm-hmm. go to my uh, school. And mm-hmm. I remember my first day of school, uh, the parents had chained themselves to the fence of the elementary school mm-hmm. where I was going to, to stop us from going to the school. Mm-hmm. Oh, so my goodness. We, uh, so we went, uh, you know, in the school, but my father had prepared me for that experience. He said, son, you know, there's going to be a lot of people out there who are going to have a problem with you going to this school, but I'm giving you an opportunity for an education, and that's why you're going. So I really didn't know what that meant. Uh, all I remember, though, is that there was a lot of issues that I had to deal with there. And he said, do not mm-hmm. engage in conflict at that school because you'll be reinforcing the stereotypes that some people have and that uh, I can't have you get kicked out. So uh, so it's basically the same thing that Martin Luther King was trying to espouse, which is passive resistance, mm-hmm. was what he was trying to explain to, to me as a, as a young young person on how mm-hmm. to deal with the words and different things that people were saying. And so, mm-hmm. but it only lasted for about six months because the kids really hear the things that their parents might say, but once, mm-hmm. you know, they have a chance to interact with you, you're just a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so that was uh, one of the, the processes I had to go through. And then riding the bus mm-hmm. from where I was to Westchester and then going through mm-hmm. the, the gang territories home mm-hmm. uh, was very uh, stressful. Uh, I yes. didn't know really how stressful it was because when you're going through it, you just think that's your normal life. But I, I recall being always aware of my surroundings and yes. uh, feeling a, you know, awareness of who was near me and who was around mm-hmm. me. I, you know, I, I've obviously had lots of opportunities and had been jumped by gangs a number of times. Mm-hmm. So, so that was sort of the environment that I, that I had to operate. And I have to thank my parents for really, uh, you know, preparing me you know, for those kinds of environments. Like, yeah, my father actually, he used to box in the Army as well, so he taught me how to box so I could defend <laughs> myself. And being, and that, that's, that's really funny because I was such a nerd that I, I carried a briefcase. I wanted to be like my father. He was one of the few people in the neighborhood who, who had a job, so he mm-hmm. would actually go to his work with a suit and a briefcase. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. in the sixth grade, I actually had a, a briefcase that I carried around in school, so and had really these thick glasses. So my father probably <laughs> taught me to box because he figured I was going to be bullied like no tomorrow. And uh, <laughs> so I was, a, I was a tough nerd, but I was definitely, <laughs> I was, I was definitely oh. a nerd. So um, yes, um, so that's sort of my, my yes, sorry, your environment. Uh, yes, really. Good. That that gives us a a, um, a, a clear uh, clearer picture of the environment that you're in. And I wanted to set the stage because um, Walter, I knowing you. The way I do, you were a self-deterministic type of person, but you also had strong parents who guided you um, and helped you avoid um, any pitfalls. 
So it's time for us to take a break. You're listening to Your Why. Our guest is inventor, entrepreneur, executive, and humanitarian Walter Larkins. Stay with us. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Breakthrough SEO marketing should be your first stop when looking for SEO solutions for your business. We offer social media marketing assistance, website design, website audits, and reputation marketing, pay-per-click options, and of course, search engine optimization services. Go to BreakthroughSEOMarketing.com today and we'll give you a free website and social media audit. This is a valuable resource for listeners of Your Why with Nalina Varinas. This limited time offer can be yours by visiting BreakthroughSEOMarketing.com or call us at 310-650-0725. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com This is Your Why with Nalina Varinas. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments about our program. Drop us a line via email to nalina at BreakthroughSEOMarketing.com. That's N-E-L-I-N-I-A at BreakthroughSEOMarketing.com. Now, back to Your Why. Welcome back. This is Nalina Varinas, and you are listening to Your Why. Our guest today is Walter Larkins, who is an inventor, entrepreneur, executive, and humanitarian. We started out this episode today talking about Walter's um, his entrepreneurial endeavors, both in his earlier career and presently. Then we turn the time clock backward to his growing up days. Let's fast forward again and talk about what Walter is doing today to benefit others and uh, the types of projects that he's involved with. Walter, take us, take us through all of that. All right, well, um, I think uh, I'd just like to talk a, a couple of things uh, that really, mm-hmm. in my high school years, kind mm-hmm. of helped me uh, develop sort of, I guess, the perception and, and, the, and the direction that I've, that I've taken moving forward. Please. Uh, as I mentioned before, my, my father uh, told me that he was sending me to a school system that initially did not embrace me. Now, over time, that situation did improve quite, quite uh, markedly. In fact, uh, at that time, the concept of integration was one of the big buzzwords at the time. And so mm-hmm. the program that my father started was uh, you know, fully integrated into the Westchester school system. And uh, a lot of the conflicts and other issues that were 
prevalent when I was when I first started no longer mm-hmm. existed. Mm-hmm. So, but I still didn't know what benefit being uh, sent to that school system where I had to take a 45-minute bus bus ride. Uh, what benefit that was to me, mm-hmm. uh, although. The, the, some of the, the challenges <clears throat> of racism I had to deal with early on uh, mm-hmm. had diminished significantly. But it wasn't mm-hmm. until 74 when the earthquake in L.A. occurred that some of the schools that were in, in the inner city were damaged, mm-hmm. that, the, that the L.A. Unified School District took over my father's busing program, and then kids from the inner city started being, started, were starting to get bused to, uh, to Westchester and other school districts. Mm-hmm. to relieve uh, the challenges of, of those schools being rebuilt. And the kids that were coming into uh, the school, which at that time was uh, Westchester High School, mm-hmm. uh, the ones that were getting A's and B's in their previous school systems were coming to Westchester and then getting C's and D's. And at that time, I was editor of the school paper, and I found that really... Uh, you know, disturbing. I said, how can young people who uh, who were getting good grades in the schools that were they were going to come to another school district and then not be able to perform? And and the reason that was so challenging for me to kind of get a grasp of is that mm-hmm. it reinforced certain stereotypes that some of the kids had of African Americans, mm-hmm. and at the same time it caused psychological damage to the kids who are coming in because mm-hmm. it sort of reinforced in themselves the stereotype that they weren't ready or not as good at as. Mm-hmm. And so that I finally understood uh, what my father was talking about when he was talking about an opportunity for an education, equal education, because his mm-hmm. opinion was that you, that, I, that you couldn't get an equal education if the expectations of the teachers were low. Mm-hmm. And that was what he's trying to shield me from. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say at that point in time, I really became more an activist, even at that young age, about uh, equal opportunity and mm-hmm. providing equal access and those themes that mm-hmm. are still part of my life mm-hmm. or right now. Mm-hmm. And so as I fast forward, I saw the consequences of that challenge in almost every kind of job that I had. I usually found myself as mm-hmm. the only African American mm-hmm. in a lot of the environments that I that I, I was in. When I mm-hmm. uh, was I went to the military academy at West Point, I was one of 300 African Americans, and and the affirmative action programs started uh, around that time as well. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, those who remember that time, there was a lot of controversy uh, regarding those programs. But the challenge was that I observed a lot of kids coming to a military academy that weren't ready. Mm-hmm. They weren't prepared for the academic challenges that, that were there. And then mm-hmm. when I uh, left the academy and went to UCLA, the percentage of African Americans in that school was very small mm-hmm. uh, at that time, about 5% of the student body. Uh, mm-hmm. It was still uh, evident that that you know, a lot of students just weren't prepared for for that environment, mm-hmm. and and those are tough schools, obviously. But mm-hmm. uh, the it, I just started looking at 
the connection between the experiences that young people were having earlier in their education and what lifelong impacts it was having on them. And so mm-hmm. as I continued with my, my career in the military, uh, one of the, as most people know historically, the military integrated uh, first before the United States really did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I went to the Army, it, the Army has always been uh, a pretty integrated organization. However, one branch I was in, which is artillery, uh, did not have as much diversity. And they were aggressively recruiting to increase the diversity in the field artillery, which is looked mm-hmm. at as the more mathematical, you know, analytical part of the, uh, of the military. Mm-hmm. And the students they were recruiting there were having challenges uh, mm-hmm. uh, succeeding in that environment, not because they weren't bright and intelligent people. Mm-hmm. It's just that they weren't prepared for the opportunity that, that, were, that was being presented to them. Mm-hmm. And that was frustrating for me. Uh, on a number of different levels, and as I went through through uh, corporate you know, America, uh, mm-hmm. the same theme occurred. And, and the ones that were remaining, African American males specifically, uh, were really, you know, the, the strong men standing, and mm-hmm. that was a a uh, uh, something that I observed along the line. And when I finally started raising money for my own company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I didn't see another African American, and most of my my uh, interactions mm-hmm. uh, with venture capital and other organizations. So, mm-hmm. so the so the challenges that we have been facing for many many years are obviously still manifesting themselves even today. Mm-hmm. So that has really inspired me, not only in terms of my the uh, things I do with my own company now but the things that I try to do in the community to prepare us for uh, being ready to compete in the environment that we need to to be effective mm-hmm. and successful. Mm-hmm. So that's really uh, where it is. And it's not just impacting mm-hmm. African Americans. It's really mm-hmm. impacting people across the whole economic, socioeconomic spectrum because of the whole change in the way that the economy is now operating and functioning and the, the mm-hmm. global aspect of uh, the economy now—it mm-hmm. just makes it even tougher for young people to achieve success, and even people who are in their uh, mid-thirties, who are mid-career and have lost their jobs, uh, mm-hmm. it is impacting them as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I—you're uh, an executive director for an organization that's um, making a difference. Please tell us more about E equals O two. Well, education equals opportunity too. Is of course, uh, you know, has to be a formula. So equals yes. two came <laughs> came about because uh, your personality uh, is showing there. <laughs> right, exactly. So <laughs> it, it it grew out of a couple of things. So my company mm-hmm. has been uh, hiring, uh, developed a unique business model for for hiring, and mm-hmm. I used to be a commissioner on the workforce. Uh, uh, L.A. County Workforce Investment Board, which are now, is now called the Workforce Development Board. And what mm-hmm. my company did, even prior to me being on that board, is we used to hire people who are long-term employed, you know, vets, uh, and also people who are transitioning from welfare mm-hmm. to work. Mm-hmm. And someone might say, well, Walter, why were you doing that? And, you know, be honest, it wasn't something that I planned to do. It was more 
a uh, situation where we had operations in India, and mm-hmm. for those out there in the audience who uh, look at employers and say, well, why are you outsourcing your operations? The interesting thing for me, and maybe it applied to other businesses as well, but I speak for my business, is that we had a very difficult time finding employees that were uh, interested in working for our company. Now, the reason for that wasn't because we weren't providing good benefits or there wasn't an opportunity for a promotion. The, The core reason was that most people don't look for employment with small companies. Mm-hmm. And we had more business than, than we could handle, uh, mm-hmm. and we could not find enough people in the volume we needed in order to fulfill our employment needs. So we set up these operations in India and Mumbai. And the mm-hmm. startling thing for me was how uh, motivated and how educationally prepared the individuals mm-hmm. that were in India, in India were. I mean, I mm-hmm. really, it was stunning. Mm-hmm. how motivated uh, they were. It, it really gave me an, another wake-up call of some of the challenges that, that we're facing and, and to see how hard-working uh, the, the people that we're working with in India were. And we grew that organization to about 150, almost 200 people between those two locations. And then mm-hmm. when the economy hit a, uh, a challenge here in the United mm-hmm. States, Mm-hmm. Uh, 2008, I guess, mm-hmm. we decided to move our operations from India back to the U.S., and we found all the people that there were there in jobs in a very, very short order. And mm-hmm. so we went to 150 people, roughly to 15 managers, and we said, okay, let's see if we can build our organization here in the U.S. And we mm-hmm. wound up having the same challenge we did before we left, which is we could not find people Mm-hmm. that were lining up for a job, even though the employment mm-hmm. rate at that time was completely off the charts. So mm-hmm. I went, I called, uh, now what's known as America's Job Center, and I said to them, I need people. Mm-hmm. And I had the same challenge, uh, mm-hmm. they, because we had a test that they had to take mm-hmm. in order to get into the interview process. And mm-hmm. they, I called them, and I was desperate. I was starting to lose money. Uh, mm-hmm. Revenue was dropping. And because we didn't serve our clients, and they mm-hmm. said, what are you going to, uh, uh, you know, I called them a panic. I said, I need individuals for my company. And I essentially, uh, they told me, well, we can't get the numbers that you need because they can't pass your test. Mm-hmm. So I said, fine, just send me 20 people, and I'll, and, and I'll train them. Because I've trained mm-hmm. sales reps, and I've trained, uh, trained in the Army. I said, I know mm-hmm. how to train. Mm-hmm. And that's really how I started. I started with uh, 20 individuals who mm-hmm. were not prepared for the workplace. Initially, mm-hmm. we had to front load. Or we had our training with all the hard skills you need to have. And mm-hmm. then I discovered that people who had been long-term unemployed uh, have had their spirit damaged. You mm-hmm. know, long-term employment is psychologically damaging. And so mm-hmm. I, I had to flip my training to the motivational side to rebuild mm-hmm. their confidence that they can actually do the job that we had for them and then integrate the uh, hard skills into the training program later on. Mm-hmm. And out of that experience, I found that what you get at the end are loyal employees because mm-hmm. they know you've made a str- strong investment in mm-hmm. their success and provided mm-hmm. them an opportunity that some employers might not have offered them because they would consider them unemployable. Right. And that's so how these, we've grown um, our... 
Yes, so you were able to meet the needs of your company, but you had to take um, control of the range yourself to be able to make things happen the way you needed them to. Correct. uh, Yes, and I I know that that's taking us to uh, uh, some of the other things that you've been able to do with your life, and uh, we'll, we'll get to that shortly. But now it's time for us to take a short break. You're listening to Your Why. Our guest is inventor, entrepreneur, executive, and humanitarian, Walter Larkins. I'm your host, Nolina Varinas. Stay with us. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Breakthrough SEO marketing should be your first stop when looking for SEO solutions for your business. We offer social media marketing assistance, website design, website audits, and reputation marketing, pay-per-click options, and, of course, search engine optimization services. Go to BreakthroughSEOMarketing.com today and we'll give you a free website and social media audit. This is a valuable resource for listeners of Your Why with Nalina Varinas. This limited time offer can be yours by visiting BreakthroughSEOMarketing.com or call us at 310-650-0725. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is Your Why with Nalina Varinas. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments about our program. Drop us a line via email to nalina at breakthroughseomarketing.com. That's N E L. I-N-I-A at BreakthroughSEOMarketing.com. Now, back to Your Why. Welcome back. This is Nalina Varinas, and you're listening to Your Why. Our guest is Walter Larkins. And in the last segment, we were talking about how Walter had to virtually use his own leadership skills to be able to, and his training skills to, train people into the jobs that he had available for them so that they could take advantage of their opportunities. Walter is a can-do person, as you can gather, and uh, from our speaking with him this morning. And tell us more about how, what, what happened next. Mm-hmm. I've done, and so mm-hmm. I have to thank her for her, her support. Some people don't even know that we're actually married because we have these different circles that we go around with. <laughs> uh, but uh, she's been my, uh, my partner through this whole, whole process, and mm-hmm. we started Equals O2 with, uh, uh, based upon the suggestion of a principal who asked that we do a field trip to our company for 20 kids, 8th mm-hmm. grade kids, mm-hmm. that were, in her opinion, uh, needed some some direction, and we volu- we volunteered to do that. But I didn't really know what to do with those young people. Uh, mm-hmm. Twenty kids, 
20 or 30 kids walking through my office. So what we decided to do was <laughs> essentially uh, interview them. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, we had them fill an employment application, and then we, so they could see all the boxes in the application they would need to fill out in the future. And mm-hmm. it was funny looking at the kids' faces as they were struggling to figure out, what am I going to put in this box? I have, I've never had a job. What, what, what about the certificate <laughs> that I need to have? So they imprint on them the, the challenge that they have to start preparing themselves now. And then we prepared an interview process for them where they would have to interview for a job that the company offered and wanted to give them that experience. So that was the birth of the idea that we would uh, try to implement in the school. And then at the very end of the meeting, I saw these young men uh, who had so much potential that I felt they could realize that I said, look, if any of you achieve a 3.5 GPA, have less referrals to the principal's office, and improve your attendance, you're going to earn a laptop, flash drive, and a printer. So that was the beginning of our Equals O2 program. Mm-hmm. And we started at Colin Powell Middle School in Long Beach with the principal there, uh, mm-hmm. Wendy Coughlin. And, you know, the results of the program were just phenomenal. Uh, we, we Grades improved over 70%. Discipline dropped about the same amount. Uh, mm-hmm. For the kids who had below 2.0 GPAs, we brought the 2.0 and a 3.0, uh, 3.0 above, 3.5 GPA and above students together so they could form a team. And that model, uh, with workshops that we were doing within the, within the middle school, with the cooperation of the teachers mm-hmm. and the principal, really, really had a very exciting stew. We didn't know what mm-hmm. made uh, it exciting, uh, you know, work. But it was a combination of the speakers and role models, we call them, that, that go, went to the school, a combination of the workshops and the, and the teachers being engaged and offering these incentives to create longer-term thinking, more strategic thinking versus shorter-term thinking that really created something special that we've been lucky enough to expand in some of the other schools in the district. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a model program to me. <laughs> um, replicating across the country. Um, people always Well, that would be exciting. Mm-hmm. Yes, that would be very exciting. You've got results to back it up. And I, I know there's a, another part of this, too, and that is um, validating that the students themselves have these creative abilities that um, have not necessarily been tapped into yet. Besides having a vision, of, a long-term vision of what their future could look like, there's also the here and now of them being problem solvers that we spoke about. Um, Correct. Can you well, comment you know, on that? The, yeah, well, I, of course, I'm an, I'm an inventor, and when I talk to the kids, I say they're mm-hmm. all inventors. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyone who has drawn a picture of anything, that picture did not exist uh, until they put that picture uh, on a piece of paper, and then now that has become real. So that's what invention is. Invention is something that doesn't become real until you Mm -hmm. put it on a piece of paper Mm -hmm. and we try to impart that on the kids so they can know anyone can be an inventor a lot of inventors even as adults uh, get bogged down in the details of how to make their invention happen and the fact that many people will believe that your idea will not work uh, or someone's already done it or all kinds of things that that people who have had ideas oftentimes experience so what I tell inventors and young people, mm-hmm. uh, they have to be careful on who they disclose their ideas to, not only because you may give up your intellectual property rights, but more importantly, you need to surround yourself with people 
who are inspired by your invention and are going to give you positive uh, feedback mm-hmm. and support as you have mm-hmm. to deal with the normal rejection that inventors receive as they try to commercialize their, their product. Yes, and uh, you have several patents, and um, you did mention you are an inventor, That's, uh, and you've been able to bring your inventions to fruition, especially in the non-invasive surgical instrumentation area um, in medicine. Correct. Well, uh, I, I, when I talk to inventors, I, you know, even my own story, uh, my first venture capital meeting, uh, the inventor, I was so naive, and many mm-hmm. inventors are when they start out. Uh, mm-hmm. He told me after I had my, my almost a napkin, but not quite. I think you saw the, my, my drawing. So I had a drawing, mm-hmm. a medical illustrator do a drawing of my invention. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the venture capitalists who, if you don't know who that is, those are people like Shark Tank, people who invest in, in companies. He told me, Walter, you don't have a patent. You don't have a prototype. You don't have a business plan. You've never run a company. Uh, people, we've, in fact, anyone we've talked about your idea doesn't believe it'll work. So after you get all that stuff together, come back and see us. So that was my first meeting with a venture right. capitalist. <laughs> very telling, very telling. <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean, I, you know. <laughs> and there's, there's, yes. <clears throat> so you uh, learned a lot from everything that you have done, and that was one of them, um, a wonderful example. Walter, you've taken charge of your life, um, even though you had um, opportunities to take it in other directions. You just decided that you uh, were going to be being uh, be effective and get results. Your conviction is inspiring. Your your thought process, and your compassion is inspiring. And for me, every show is meaningful because people do matter. And when individuals go out of their way to help someone else, I think we should take notice and learn. Thank you, Walter, for all you do to improve the lives of others. And uh, we enjoyed having you on the show. Please keep me uh, abreast of what you do. Thank you. Thank you very much. Please, you're welcome. Please share this show with your LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter communities. I'm your host, Nolina Varinas. It's been a pleasure. Until next time, be great. Thank you for joining us this week. Listen for another edition of Your Why with Nalina Varinas next week. We're here every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go start the next chapter of your legacy.